0: Build Your Network, Episode 125.
1: Hey, this is Jeff Hoffman, serial entrepreneur from Priceline.com and UBid.com. And if you want to learn how to scale your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel.
0: You have the ambition I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest. But first, if you have not done this already, please go ahead and schedule a quick chat with me. I would love to talk with you sometime just for 10 or 15 minutes over the phone. Um, Head on over to buildyournetwork.co forward slash FB. And in the pinned welcome post in the top of my Facebook group, you'll see a link that goes directly to my calendar. And there you can schedule a quick chat. Love to talk with you sometime. So I'll catch you there or I'll catch you in the Facebook group. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Jeff Hoffman. Jeff is a successful entrepreneur, proven CEO, worldwide motivational speaker, published author, film producer, and a producer of a Grammy-winning jazz album in 2015. He's been the founder of multiple startups, has been the CEO of both public and private companies, and has served as a senior executive in many capacities. Jeff has been part of a number of well-known companies, including Priceline.com, Color ColorJar, and more. Jeff is a frequent keynote speaker, having been invited to speak in over 50 countries on the topics of innovation, entrepreneurship, and business leadership. He's the co-author of the book, Scale, a how-to guide for growing your business. Jeff also teaches innovation workshops to major corporations on a regular basis. He received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National CEO Council for his contributions to the field of entrepreneurship, and he received the Champion of Entrepreneurship Award from J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, and Rising Tide Capital. Outside of the world of technology, Jeff has produced movies, has produced musical events, including concerts, tours, and charity events with such artists as Elton John, Britney Spears, and NSYNC, and others. And he serves on numerous charities and nonprofit boards. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. That was such a mouthful of an introduction. We've done so many <laughs> things. It's hard to keep it concise. Super, super excited to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what you're most excited about right now?
1: Okay. So I am, first of all, thrilled to be here. Thank you very much for having me today. And what I'm particularly excited about, well, there's two things. One is more of my professional mission. and One's a little more personal. My professional mission, I fundamentally believe that if you want to make the world a better place, you unleash armies of entrepreneurs. So I've been on a mission about over the last five years to try to inspire and mentor as many people to become entrepreneurs and as many entrepreneurs to succeed as possible. So that excites me. I just came back from a trip to Istanbul, where we held the Global Entrepreneurship Congress. And we had entrepreneurs from 170 countries attend. And the whole focus was, how can entrepreneurs go out and change the world and make things better around them? And I was just so energized by working with those global entrepreneurs. The other thing that I'm pretty excited about as well as we just launched a new sports venture and I'm a big sports fan. And we are in the process of putting together a deal to buy an NFL football team. And as like I said, as much as I love sports, this will be a fun phase in my life. So those are the two things that are kind of lighting my fire right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. We're kind of talking a little bit about that off the recording. Man, that's got to be such a dream come true growing up watching sports and then being able to actually start shopping around to buy an NFL team. (laughs) How's that process been for you, Jeff?
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because it was never even on my bucket list. This all sort of came up through a series of events. But it's funny because there's that old saying that, you know, it seems the harder I work, the luckier I get, right? The more engaged you are in the world and the more you dig in and the more people you meet and places you go, the more likely you are to stumble into things you could never believe. So it was a function of my network. And we'll get to that. And people that I met that led me on this unexpected path to this. But it's been a blast. I've been meeting a lot of players that, you know, are people I used to spend my Sundays watching and I've been learning so much about professional sports and sports ownership as we've been working with the league and the owners and talking in more detail to various teams. So the coolest part is I'm learning all kinds of stuff I never knew before.
0: Yeah, totally. So so much fun. Let's go ahead and go a little bit further back here. Talk a little bit about how you got into all of this. Like has entrepreneurship been something that's just you know, been in your blood since day one? If not, how did you get it to be that way? And if yes, do you think that this is something that can be learned or is it just something that you're kind of born with?
1: Well, I think, you know, and that's always such a good question. And I think the answer is both. Are entrepreneurs born or made? I think it's both. The made part, the learn part is, you know, this, your podcast right here, right? The more that education people absorb and the more chance they get to learn from each other and from people who've already been down that path, the better of an entrepreneur and the higher your chances of success are. So there's a made part. But I think, Travis, there's a born part because there's a DNA thing that really distinguishes entrepreneurs. For example, (laughs) I'll tell you some of my DNA. I'm like the most impatient person on the planet. (laughs) And I have been trying to fix that. But I got to be honest with you, I'm the guy that's in the line saying, oh, my God, how can this take so long? And people are always saying, dude, calm down. It just takes that long. (laughs) And I'm always saying, well, how does it take this long? What are these people doing? Why can't they do this faster? Um, And everybody else always says, man, just calm down. It just takes this long. And that personality flaw, that part of my DNA, caused me to be an entrepreneur. So I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur. I set out to make things better. And I'll tell you, my first startup ever was that exact moment, standing in a long line that took almost an hour to check in for a flight at an airport. And I was going nuts because when you get to the end of the line, they look at your ID and they hit print and hand you a boarding pass. Right, right. And I said, how on earth does it take? I stand in line for an hour so you can print me a sheet of paper off a printer. The woman's saying, you know, next. And I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> right. And I said, this process is ridiculous. You're using a printer and we're standing in a line an hour long. I missed my flight. and oh, I was very wow. upset, but it was my impatience yeah. and the way that I hate inefficiency. And I'm saying, there has to be a better way to do this. And the woman is like, could you please leave? But (laughs) I literally, my first startup was to solve that problem. My first startup was creating the airport check-in kiosk that people use today. When you go to the airport and self-check-in at a kiosk, that's a product that we invented and patented and started selling all over the world because it was driving me nuts to stand in line. So it's a DNA Thing too. Part of it is just how you're born. And for me, I, you know, inefficiency makes me nuts. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned that because recently I went through the nightmare that is the car buying process. Like a month ago, I had to go get a car, and I was thinking the same exact thing. I was sitting there waiting for the guy to come back with my paperwork, and I was like, "What could possibly be taking this long right now?" Like it's been like twenty. Like, don't don't you have a DocuSign? Like, shouldn't you be able to auto populate? Like, all you do is put my name. And I don't understand what's happening. You already have my credit pulled. Like, just give me my car. <laughs> but yeah, it's really really funny that, that you yeah. said. That. It's very fresh in my mind. <laughs>
1: It that And that is the difference, that people that make, you know, drives crazy, those are the ones that wind up becoming entrepreneurs because they're addressing a problem, not typically. I do see a lot of people that say, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, and they have no problem to solve. They just want to be an entrepreneur. That doesn't work. It works when there's something in the world that's driving you nuts, and you got to fix it.
0: Hmm. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So, was this first company, was that kind of the segue into Priceline? How did that come about?
1: No, uh, Priceline didn't exist then for several. For me, I was involved in several more startups before we ever got to that one. But for my personal journey, that is definitely what got me interested in the travel industry, because when we started digging in the back of the travel industry right, to solve this problem, we started seeing all the inefficiency in the industry and saying, man, this industry could definitely be streamlined and take the fat out of the middle and take the cost out of the middle. So that is what, look, working on the ticket printers in the first place, is what got me interested in trying to make you know, one of the world's biggest global industries travel more efficient.
0: Yeah, so what was the timeline here? So, how old were you about when you were doing the kiosk thing? How long did it take you to transition into creating Priceline? And would you say that Priceline is like one of the more successful ventures that you've had?
1: Yeah, so I was in my 20s when I was doing that. I had an engineering, a corporate job, and I hated it. I was an engineer at a big engineering company. And again, a DNA thing. I just couldn't work in that infrastructure and bureaucracy in the case of the company I worked for. So, I was only in my 20s and I quit. And when I started that first startup, we were. Very lucky that the company was acquired three years later. We sold it. And so I continued to work on some other startup ideas, some that worked and some that didn't along the way. Before, like, for example, we got this crazy idea that you could, you don't have to go to the mall to buy a sweater. You have a computer at home. You could buy one on this new thing called the Internet. (laughs) <laughs> that idea failed because we built an internet shopping site way before anyone knew what the internet was. That transition, that failure into another startup I did, which was internet banking. And we created some of the first internet banking technology. And that one was successful. We had banks all over the US, Europe, and South America using the product. And we sold that company. And then there was a basically an inventor, a guy named Jay Walker up in Connecticut. And Jay is the one that had the intellectual property of a reverse auction the concept of bidding on unsold inventory, naming your price. That was Jay's patent and Jay's idea. Hmm. So Jay is the one that started calling a team of people, and he's the one who assembled a team to go build Priceline. But the timing was perfect because at the beginning, when we all got there, got to Priceline, The internet was brand new, but now people were starting to feel comfortable using it and travel was still this inefficient industry that could be disintermediated using the internet. So it was a good idea, but it was also the right place at the right time. And it was just a really fun ride.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so what's your involvement with all of that stuff now?
1: Really none because, you know, we had companies, I've been involved in companies, you know, later I did another internet company called uBid.com that I was the CEO of. That was like the fifth largest auction site on the internet. But We've had a combination, some that didn't work, companies that we sold and companies we took public. And about five years ago is when I made a commitment to giving back. So I left all my companies then and said, I'm going to spend some years of my life giving back for the blessings I've received from the field of entrepreneurship by mentoring entrepreneurs. So I've been on like a five-year world tour of mentoring the last five years and just trying to help other people start their companies and achieve their dreams. So I'm not involved in any of those companies at this point.
0: Really cool. So now you're doing a lot more travel. We kind of talked about this a little bit off recording as well. What's one of your favorite places to travel to Jeff?
1: Well, I tell you what, I think, you know, one of my childhood goals was before I die for my life to have been well-lived, I decided this, that I want to visit 50 countries in my lifetime. By the way, part of that, Travis, came from this, like in seventh grade, we had to read a Mark Twain book. Uh And on the inside cover of the Mark Twain book, Mark Twain put a quote. His quote was, I'm going to paraphrase it, but his quote was that travel is the fatal enemy of prejudice. Hmm. And I was like, wow, my teacher said, you know, Jeff, what does that mean? And I said, it means that the more we get out, the more of the world we see, and the more time we spend with people who don't look like this, like us, the more tolerant and understanding of human beings we'd be. More love, less hate. Hmm. And she said, you're right. And I said, man, I want to go see the world now. So my goal was to visit 50 countries. And I've been to about maybe 92, I think, that I'm up to. Wow. Different countries I love for different reasons. But if I had to pick to answer your question, it's probably a combination of Australia and New Zealand.
0: Yeah. That you and I
1: have talked about before. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. love the people, yeah. I love the nature, I love the sunshine, I love the animals. When I'm in, and I just recently <laughs> was in both Australia and New Zealand. And, you know, one afternoon after working with entrepreneurs for a couple of days, I took the day off and I was out feeding kangaroos in a field in Australia. And then that weekend I was visiting the Maori Indians on their property. And learning about their history down in New Zealand. I love being down there.
0: Yeah, and you have a really cool story, too, about visiting that Indian reservation. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, there are parts of it that if you're not Maori, you can't go on their land. But they were just, one of the Maoris came to me and he said, we'd like to thank you for the time you're giving our people here in New Zealand helping people help themselves. We'd like to do something for you in return and teach you a little bit about our culture and our history. And we went out of Auckland, out of New Zealand, to where the Maori basically reservation, where their property is, but it's gated and you can't walk on that property if you're not a Maori. And so I thought that was the end of it. And he said, look, we're going to give you a special thing. We're going to basically welcome you into the tribe, which is a a formal ceremony where they do a series of chants, a little bit of a dance. And then it ends with uh, the Maori warrior doing a nose rubbing thing. So uh, (laughs) he and I rubbed noses to formally welcome me in, and then I was able to go on the property and learn their history. And it was one of my favorite visits in the entire world.
0: Man, that's literally when you were telling me that story earlier. I was like, man, I just added something to my bucket list: (laughs) get accepted into an Indian tribe. Like that's like now on my bucket list.
1: That's a really cool one, and I appreciated. The opportunity and I learned so much about the culture as a result. Yeah, and that's so cool.
0: Well, awesome, Jeff. Let's go ahead. I mean, I could talk to you about this stuff forever, but let's go ahead and move the conversation. This is the Build Your Network podcast. We talk a lot about networking, building relationships, how to do it the right way, how to not do it the wrong way, different things like that. So, this is the question I always ask to get the conversation going in the right direction Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why?
1: So I'm going to go with, and not just because I'm on your podcast, <laughs> I'm going to go with who you know, and here's why. Because you don't know everything anyway. There is no big accomplishment in the world that was ever accomplished by one person. You really are limited by the strength of your network or the weakness of it. And so whatever big dreams you have in your life, whatever you're going to set out to do, you're not as smart as you think you are. And you're not good at 12 things. You're good at one thing, which means you need 11 other people to fill out your team. So. If you accept the premise that the only way to accomplish anything really significant in life is to build a team to accomplish it, then the strength of your network is directly proportional to your ability to succeed. So I spend a ton of my time, and I want people listening. If you're a founder, a CEO, a leader in management, whatever, you literally should not be spending all your time running your company or running your department. You should schedule days. I've been doing this my whole life. I schedule days. Where I'm out of the office just building my network. Hmm. One time I remember specifically, I saw this ad. It said tech meetup Saturday at some pizza joint. Mm-hmm. And sorry, it was a Friday afternoon. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna just leave the office Friday afternoon. It was for $15. I went to this tech meetup. Friends of mine I'm like, where are you going? I said to this thing. I showed them the thing. They said, You don't even know what these people are talking about. I said, That's the point. These people have a skill set. I don't, and they're people I'm probably gonna need. And you don't want to build your network when you need it. You want to build your network way before you need it. Yes, exactly. I schedule time to go literally put myself in the presence of people that are not me, that have skills I don't, and make it a point to get to know them and sort of catalog the people that I met. So the day I really do need one of those people, I already know who I want to call.
0: Yeah, man, there's so much there that we could go into. Uh, Tell us about a time when a connection that you made with somebody ended up leading to a big moment of success for you.
1: Oh, sure, there had been absolutely a number of those, but I can remember one time, so I'm an engineer by trade. Okay. The finance part is definitely a weakness for me. And I have this habit (laughs) of, talking to everybody everywhere, strangers, right? Because you might just have walked past. You might've been standing quietly in line and the person in front or behind of you might've been your investor, might've been your partner, might've been your customer, might be your net, your spouse, who knows? Mm-hmm. But it could have been someone significant in your life and you didn't even say hello because you don't know each other, really. Yeah. So I engage strangers all the time. And sometimes, of course, it's crickets chirping, awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. It doesn't always work, but I'll take those losses with the successes. And I just remember when I was starting the film company and I come from the engineering and tech and I want to be in the movie biz. And I knew I needed somebody that understood film finance and budgeting. And I met somebody, he was a friend of another friend, but I they were out to lunch and I went to lunch and I specifically went over and sat next to this guy who I didn't know and started questioning about his life, his skills, his experiences, his background, his dreams, his goals. And he wound up not only knowing everything about film finance, but it turned out he was a major executive, I think at the time at Universal Studios. (laughs) And once I engaged him, he said, come by my office, I'll teach you a little bit. And then when I told him I was starting an independent film production company, I actually talked him into quitting his big cushy studio exec job and coming and being my business partner in our independent film production company. And his relationships and his knowledge we had a, no chance we ever would have succeeded without him. Yeah. And all that happened because at lunch, I intentionally said, can I sit next to this guy? And the people I with said, sure. And I just started again. I asked him enough that I had an idea what lit his fire. And I was eventually able to get him to come join my new company. Yeah. So hypothetically
0: here, how far behind would you have been in that particular company? Had you never cultivated that connection?
1: So behind is probably not even the word. I don't think the company ever would have got off the ground because he had relationships with the studios, with the industry, and he had the knowledge of the finance part. Plus, even more, he had the credibility. When I called people and said, we're going to make our first movie and we're putting together the financing, Mm -hmm. people said, wait, time out. You don't know any, you know, I'm giving money to a guy that knows nothing about film finance. I said, oh, I'd like you to meet my partner and finance guy. And they said, tell us your story. And he said, yeah, I was the head of business affairs for Universal Studios. (laughs) I negotiated. This is a guy that negotiated Jurassic Park contract with Steven Spielberg. And they said, "Okay, we'll be right over. So I don't know if I would have said how much do
0: you need? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If I had not found this person in my network and talked him into joining me.
0: So the reason I asked that hypothetical question, because I want people to start thinking like with this being so important, Jeff, with building a network, with growing relationships, with this kind of stuff being so paramount to finding success, why is it, do you think that most people just completely neglect doing it?
1: Well, the biggest reason I see, and now I spend a lot of time trying to help people grow their business. So I hear this all the time and it's ironic because they're too busy being inefficient to stop. And take the time to get more efficient. What I mean is, they're so busy juggling all the balls. And part of the reason they're so busy at it is because they're doing things they don't know how to do. It's, for example, me as an engineer trying to do finance. Since I'm not a finance guy, finance takes me way longer than it should because I'm struggling. Mm. So if you were to call me about building my network, I would say, look, man, I can't even get out of the office. I've been here till 10 o'clock every night. They're so busy being inefficient and trying to juggle all the balls and trying to do it all themselves that they don't realize that if they took a day off to go network, they could find people. that could do the stuff that's taking them all day in one hour. Yeah. And they're so busy. So that's what I hear. Yeah. And you know, when I say, hey, I'm going to that tech meetup, I'm leaving the office, people would say, man, I, I'm just too busy. I don't have time to go with you, but you know, have fun with that. And I'm sitting there thinking, if you did go with me, you might meet somebody that would solve your way too busy problem because they know how to do this better than you. So that's
0: it. Yeah. Totally a compounding effect.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. That's something that is so prevalent too. Like I talk to people a lot, especially with my show, obviously that will say stuff like that to me, like, How do you find the time to go to these events? How do you find the time to network with these people? And my answer is always a question back to them. Like, how do you not find the time to do this kind of stuff? Like, it is one of the most valuable ways that I can spend my time. Like, it's just an insane amount of value coming back from it. So that's why I usually like to ask that question. Would you say that you are naturally an introvert or an extrovert, Jeff?
1: I would say somewhere in between, but leaning towards extrovert. But I didn't start that way. Like I said, I'm an engineer. So my beginning of my career is, you know, sitting in front of computers all day writing code. And I realized then that I was never going to get anywhere I was trying to go if I didn't build a team around me. So I went out of my comfort zone and started, like I said, talking to this finance guy that I was just talking about, Glenn, right? I was starting a conversation and I was afraid when I start talking a little about finance, he's going to say, man, you're just like a moron. You know nothing. And I was going to have to say about your world of finance, you're right, I don't. So it was a little uncomfortable at first, but I realized you got to put yourself out there because that's not what happened. Hmm. You know, the guy didn't say that. What he said was, well, I'm glad you're talking to me because this is my area. You handle your area. You know, it's like you think of a baseball team. You would never go out to your home run, league leading home run hitting right fielder right. and say, I want you to work on your pitching. Mm-hmm. He would mm-hmm. say, I'm not the pitcher. You hired me to hit home runs and I'm leading the league. Right. That guy's the pitch. You just wouldn't do that. So don't be afraid of the fact that you don't know how to pitch if you're the home run hitter. Do your job and find other people to do it. So I forced myself out of my comfort zone to be a little more extroverted because I knew that I had to make contact with people to build this network or I would never build the company
0: man, the best things in life happen outside of your comfort zone. I like that story a lot because it shows people that you don't have to be the natural extrovert in order to be able to go out. And like you said, now, like now you're standing in line and you talk to the people on both sides of you just to like start conversations. And when people probably heard that earlier in the conversation, they're like, oh, well, Jeff's, you know, that works for Jeff. Jeff is an extrovert. Obviously, he wouldn't be able to do that if it." And it's like, no, 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 this is a skill set that we can work on and become better at. Like this might not be the way that you recharge ever because that might be like For me personally, I'm definitely introverted. I recharge by myself. My personality type is that way. But I think the power comes in once you experience how effective building a network really is, you don't really ever look back. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you take the risk first off because you're like, hey, I hear this is a good idea. And then you do it once or twice and experience the power of building a great inner circle. And then it's like, uh, man, how do I not keep doing this all the time? How is this not something that I keep pushing forward? Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. And you just have to take those first few steps out of your comfort zone. And when you find, like you said, you find the payback, how much it was worth it, you'll be a little more confident each time you go forward. But you've got to push yourself to start.
0: So if we were to break it down to one thing here, Jeff, let's make it just really simple, really easy. One big takeaway for somebody to take away from this conversation. What would be your number one tip to become better at this weird, awkward thing called networking?
1: Absolutely. And this is going to sound really simple, but nobody does it. And that's this. Literally, schedule time in your week. Schedule time where you say, I'm taking Thursday afternoon off with one and only one goal to go out networking. To physically, whether it's, and during that time, you're not running your company, you're not just answering emails of people you already know. You're either online or offline. I like offline if you can go somewhere and meet people. Mm. You are scheduling time where your only goal for Thursday afternoon is go to some event you would not normally go to and go meet people that have skills that you don't. I schedule time and I sign up to go to events and conferences or listen to podcasts or whatever. I schedule time where my only goal is network building. But that's not what most people do. Most people Think network building is what happens when you're going somewhere anyway. I have to be at this conference. I'll try to meet some people. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. I'm saying is go to a conference you weren't scheduled for only to meet people where you don't have any other responsibility at that conference or go to a meeting or go wherever, but schedule time that is set aside for nothing but networking instead of hoping you come across people while you're, you know, by chance.
0: Absolutely love that level of practicality there. ask that question a lot and a lot of times I get philosophical answers, which is totally fine, but I really like those practical ones too because that's something, like you said, it's so simple, it's so easy, but people just don't take the time to make sure that it stays a priority. Maybe just because it's too difficult to see the ROI on it. I don't know exactly why. Do you have an idea there?
1: All of the above, they just don't think about it. I don't think it's that they don't see the ROI. I think that a lot of times, you know what's funny? Sometimes success is your worst enemy because you're doing pretty well running your business you know, by yourself or with your little team. So you start to think, maybe I'm pretty good at this. But what you don't realize is the difference between doing pretty well and scaling into a massively successful company is handing off the tasks you're not best at to people that are smarter than you. So I think they don't realize that the key to getting to the next level is surrounding yourself with people smarter than you, and you've got to put the time in to find them. And they're just too busy, and things are going okay, so they don't really think they need the help.
0: What are some of the most effective ways that you've found to try to find those people that are at that quote-unquote level above you?
1: So I'm still a huge fan of LinkedIn, obviously. I think it's a very, very effective tool, and by definition, when people created a profile there... They were putting themselves out there to be contacted. Why would you want to be on it if you don't want to connect with people? Right. But the other one, like I said, is being domain specific. If you need finance people, then signing up to actually go to a finance event, even though you're not a finance person, going to events that you wouldn't normally go to because they're not your expertise, but... Going there with the intent of finding people that are really good at that thing that you're not, that's the other thing that I do. Like I said, I've attended events. One time I went to a a film distribution conference. I don't know anything about film distribution. That was the point. There are people that do, and I need to know some of those people. So I went to this conference, and when i start talking, it's a little uncomfortable. So are you in the distribution business? I'd be like, no, I actually don't know anything about it. And they'd be like, then what are you doing here? (laughs) And i said I came here because I don't know anything about it. And I was hoping to meet someone like you. The first few seconds are awkward. Right. Then they say, oh, great. Let me tell you about me and how I could help you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> That's the key right there is that the first few seconds are awkward, but I just feel like people don't enjoy those situations. So they're not willing to push past that little bit of discomfort in order to get the big reward at the end of that awkward feeling of of just randomly talking to somebody, especially when you don't know anything about a particular industry or something like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But you'll get over it fast because those people love to talk about their industry and they like to talk about themselves. So get them started and the discomfort, the uncomfortable part goes away fast.
0: Throughout your career, Jeff, have you ever paid for relationships? Like, I don't mean that in a bad kind of a way. I'm meaning like mentorships, coachings, masterminds, like different types of like high level events. What's been your experience with that kind of stuff?
1: I have, and I've gotten a lot of value out of it, but it's really careful to choose wisely. Don't choose what's popular. Choose what specifically fits you. Okay. Be really specific of saying that if you're talking to somebody that offers before you're you paying anybody for anything, instead of saying to them, what do you offer? Because what happen, what I see is people then try to convince themselves that's the right offering. Start by saying, this is specifically what I need to get. Can you deliver that to me? Focus on what you need to get out of this before you spend a dime. Hmm. I'm spending this money because I want to get this. And then have people say, tell you, tell me how you can deliver that to me. How will I get that knowledge at this event? How will I get that knowledge by hiring you as a coach or mentor, whatever it is. I'm always very focused on, I specifically need this and tell me if you can deliver it. Instead of just saying, tell me what you got, because then you wind up trying to convince yourself Sometimes. Oh, that right. sounds good. Right. Well, it's not really what you wanted. You're talking yourself into it. Don't talk yourself into it.
0: Okay. So tremendously valuable. Just be careful, really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Got it. Got a it. Be
1: very, very goal specific. This is what I need to get. Perfect.
0: So cool, man. Let's go ahead and move on to the last segment here. Something I like to call the random round. Just a really quick, random questions with some quick, random answers. You ready? You bet. This is the random round. <laughs> What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt?
1: (laughs) The one that I'm trying now, being involved in the sports world.
0: If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why?
1: Oh, wow. That is such a hard question. Okay, let me think because there's so many people from so many different places that I would put on that list. I would love to spend that hour with Martin Luther King. Hmm and learn more about what drove him, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong from his vision, and how we can get to where he really hoped we would be by now.
0: How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos?
1: Actually, intentionally, all of the above. Hmm. I mix it up because I'm trying to find out what are the most effective learning techniques for me. Okay. And I like to have a mix. So I recommend people try all of them and figure out what's most effective for you. I do some of each.
0: What is something that you've consumed recently, a book, an audiobook, or a podcast, something that you would recommend to the audience?
1: I recently read a book by a guy named Dr. Steve Taubman, T-A-U-B-M-A-N. It's a new book, but it's called Buddha in the Trenches. And he talks about remaining calm under intense pressure. I'll start, you know, entrepreneurs especially are always under pressure to perform and they panic and they get a little freaked out. And he wrote a book about how to maintain that Buddha-like calm in the heat of battle. And I really liked his book.
0: Give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: My morning routine starts with a little process, something I called info sponging. Every morning, the first thing I do before I start the day is I make an attempt to learn. It's only 10 minutes to learn one new thing a day that I don't need to know. I read a story of something outside of my industry outside of my business, and I'm not even sure why I'm reading it other than it caught my curiosity. And I try to learn things outside of what I need to know so that I have a broader worldview. So that's pretty much how I start the day. The second thing usually is because of my commitment to mentoring is I go on WhatsApp and I answer questions from entrepreneurs in a dozen different countries every morning using WhatsApp's technology because they can connect to me that way. Those are usually the two things I do to start the morning.
0: What is your go-to pump-up song?
1: Wow, that depends on a different time. I will tell you, it's classic rock. Uh, yeah. Pretty much going. And I have a pretty good playlist of classic rock. Yesterday's morning song was literally, it's funny you say that, because it was Start Me Up by the Rolling Stones.
0: All right. What is something that you are not very good at?
1: There's a long list of those. <laughs> <laughs> I already told you I have a huge problem with patience and sometimes I need it. Ah. Sometimes I need to slow down and listen and wait and I'm really bad at it. My biggest business weakness, so personal weakness would be patience. I'm just not good at business. Weakness would be I'm not a finance guy Hmm. and I'm not a deep numbers guy. And luckily I have really strong people around me that do that, but it's just a weakness. I wish I grasped it better.
0: And as we get everything wrapped up here, Jeff, what is one place online where we will be able to find you the most?
1: either my LinkedIn or jeffhoffman.com. I have my own website that kind of tracks stuff that I'm doing.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So head over to LinkedIn or just go over to jeffhoffman.com to hear more okay. from Jeff and reach out to him. Say what's up. Tell him you heard about him here on Build Your Network. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really, really had a blast chatting with you.
1: Thank you so much. And I love what you're doing and the value you're creating for people. I hope people are Taking your podcast to heart because it's very, very valuable information. Thanks for having me today.
0: That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies, and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away.